I'm Monica Melpass. It's been a monumental year of politics and scandals, but also good news for the tri-state area. Let's get the inside story. Good morning, I'm Monica Melpass and welcome to Inside Story. Our special year-end edition is a bit festive and we're going to be covering topics that were important all year long in the Delaware Valley, so we're glad to have you. Let's meet our insiders right now and they are Donna Gentile O'Donnell, who's a nonprofit executive and author. Good morning, dear. Good morning, Monica. Welcome to you. Liz Havey, GOP state official. Always great to have you with us, Liz. Thank you. David Dix, government relations executive. Welcome, David. Good to be here. Good to have you. And Dom Giordano, talk show host. Dom, always Hi, a pleasure. Good morning. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All right, we had big elections this year. Some things were the same. Some things change, so a mix of old and new. Tom uh, Wolf, of course, reelected governor, and the same with our Senate. Uh, Bob Casey is reelected for another term. But we had four women elected as congresswomen, if you will, from Pennsylvania, first time in history. They called it the year of the woman, and also new lieutenant governor John Fetterman, who is uh, what some would say a hard scrabble lifestyle, but then went to Harvard and now has a lot of interesting new ideas to bring to the state. What do you make of the old and new mixed? Fetterman is a really interesting character. I mean, he's a Harvard grad, as you mentioned, and is rebuilding Braddock, or was, until the lieutenant governor post, sort of brick by brick. So I think he's, I think he's somebody to sort of keep an eye on because I think he speaks to a part of Pennsylvania's electorate that has typically not connected. So I think that's going to be just an interesting thing to watch. How will it mix with what we have, though? And the interesting thing about Fetterman, he's a, he's a ultra-progressive, right? So you have an ultra-progressive being now paired with the most progressive governor in the, in the state, in the country, uh, in, in Governor Wolf. The other thing about uh, Mayor, uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman now is that he intends to stay in Braddock. He doesn't intend to move to the Lieutenant Governor's mansion. He's going to keep his family there and actually wants to run his wife for mayor of Braddock. So those are some interesting points. All right. What about the women in Congress? Anything interesting that will bring a new well, twist? What I, what I think is interesting is how these women operate now because the suburbs are going to determine what happens in 2020 in Pennsylvania without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And Pennsylvania goes a large way to who is the next president of the United States, if not first in line. So I see uh, the three of them as um, progressive. And it will be interesting to see if this election was an anti-Trump spasm or will people like their policies and personalities and the things that they do and that they were not just a result of this anti-Trump stuff. So it may not be the blue wave that some predicted. It might right. just be a blue surge for a moment. Right. We'll see. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the uh, sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Certainly sent uh, tremors throughout the world, even Pope Francis responding to this. And it came about because, of course, our uh, attorney general required or requested the courts to give up a private grand jury report that had been sealed. When it was unsealed, 300 priests were shown to have abused children, and now the ramifications have been widespread. What do you make of that? I think it's been devastating for the Catholic Church. It's really difficult for them. Um, certainly, in terms of politically, looking at uh, Josh Shapiro, he's elevated himself to an international uh, leader on this issue, and now he's got apparently 45 states who are reaching out to him. Um, and so he's becoming a household name. Um, there has been pushback. I've had a lot of people say to me that they don't, they didn't like sort of the, the rollout. Feels like it was a movie, putting the victims right up front. They were crying. Usually victims are actually always kept in the back. Um, so there's, there's that kind of pushback on whether he's handled it the right way. But certainly it's um, elevated him to a household name. 
Separate from what has impacted him, though, long term, do you see any change coming, any way to prevent the next round of this? I, I mean, I think there is change underway. I think mm. there, I, I want to just uh, say one thing about Liz's comment. I agree with uh, the characterization of the, the rolling out. Um, you know, putting the victims front and center, I think, was, it was high drama and, and uh, I think emotionally and unnecessarily painful. And I recall when Lynn Abraham released her report on the, on the same subject here in Philadelphia, where a very extensive uh, review was done with a grand jury, um, there was none of that. And, and I thought that was respectful of the rule of law and respectful of the, of the victims. With respect to what will happen going forward, I think the, the Pope, I think Pope Francis's biggest problem is he doesn't know who to trust. And as we've seen these ripples in the pond, it has become increasingly clear to me and other people that I talk to that he's he's facing these challenges down. He he notably backed the bishops down when they were scheduled to have that their the cardinals and the bishops were scheduled to have that meeting. In February there's gonna be a gathering in which I think we're gonna see more directives. But his recent comments uh, I think speak to the, the, the deep sense of, of sorrow that he has having to cope with this and not really sure who he can trust. He did say, I, quote, we showed no care for the little we, ones. We spent a little bit of time talking about Attorney General Shapiro and how he rolled it out, but we really did not for, offer, I thought, the due time for the Catholic Church. As a lifelong Catholic, um, this was a very painful experience, and I know Catholics all across the Commonwealth and across the country are reeling from the way that the church as an institution has behaved and has behaved since the grand jury report has been laid out. There has not been a... Um, a strong account for those who did wrong and put children in harm's way uh, who were a part of that institution. And I look forward to 2019 bringing a, uh, an accountability to those who put children in harm's way. All right, let's move on and talk about the opioid crisis that seems to be a Pac-Man eating everything in its sight, a terrible situation, a uh, state of emergency declared by Governor Wolf for Pennsylvania in particular. But there are some things that they are trying to do, and that's they're trying to close down the pill mills, if you will, trying to urge doctors to prescribe non-opioids as a first resort and of course treat addicts. Do you think it's enough? Oh uh, well I'm on the other side of this with the doctors. I think the doctors have moved toward reform itself. What I would do with the pill mills increase the penalties if you need more agents it's well worth it and bust them up. But my listeners um, tell me that they're afraid that doctors are going to be chilled from giving this medication. I trust the doctors more than Wolf or Philadelphia City Council to determine what's the proper dosage etc immediately after injury, Monica, and I think they shouldn't be meddling in that. I think they have reformed, and those that haven't ought to be punished. All right. Anybody else want to weigh in on this? This is opioids? most certainly a crisis, and, you know, I, I have to give reference to the, the, the recent Meek Mill album, the Champions album. We're on that record, Champions. He says, every kid in my hood is addicted to perks. And this is an epidemic, not an epidemic that touches social classes throughout, and this is something in Philadelphia that we have to take, take on seriously and head on. I don't think the answer is a um, injection site. There's a lot no. of talk about doing that, right. and apparently there's a nonprofit that's been formed that's going to have their own safe injection site. That's going to have real problems with um, the, the the feds and the state because this is not it's not legal, and there's mm -hmm. no actually I haven't I did a lot of looking into it last night uh, preparing for this, and I haven't seen anything that says it actually works or benefits. And I don't think the citizens of Philadelphia are going to want to have these safe injection sites. Um, so we'll see. I mean, that's going to be a, a problem that the city council is going to face because they'll have to change the law. It's against the law both in the city and federally. We'll see. 
Speaking of a different uh, kind of drug that's now been legalized, marijuana, of course, has been uh, at least legalized in many states for medical purposes, but also some for recreational. And let's talk about it, it has become a booming business in the billion dollar range, more than people, many of them had anticipated. But also, will this lead to better criminal justice reform, fewer people behind bars for small amounts of pot possession? Law enforcement could change, it could have a big uh, impact. I think there, I think we're going to see some very dramatic changes, not only with respect to uh, the criminal justice issues. I think those are beginning mm -hmm. to find expression. Certainly here in Philadelphia, it's been decriminalized to a misdemeanor. But I think also one, one of the things that it gets overlooked often is that for a long time, marijuana has been a Schedule One drug. I mean, that's the highest degree. Mm -hmm of classification and it is impeded. The federal government has essentially impeded research into the benefits of marijuana for purposes of medical use. The, the recreational conversation is a whole different conversation. But on the medical side of the equation, we are behind in terms of our ability to properly structure, you know, quasi-experimental design, quasi design and, and experimental design research studies, which really inform decisions by practitioners about what to do for their patients. And now we can catch yeah. up. Yeah, well, I think uh, Pennsylvania is very close to being 50-50 as far as legalizing recreational. Jersey, though, you see the problems. I think they're 60-40 in favor of it, yet they haven't been able to get it done. There's still a resistance movement there. The key guy is Jeff Sessions being out as attorney general. He was the war on drugs guy. Trump is not, and the people around Trump now are not. So I don't think you'll see federal hurdles to this as much. Although if you talk to law enforcement officials, um, and I have, they will tell you that really this opioid crisis, so much of it begins with people who smoke pot. Uh, and he said it's a gate. That's, that's not scientifically proven, and that's actually what the, the fear mongering that has yeah. gone into the, the castigation of marijuana. But that has been traditionally considered if, if a gateway talk, drug. If you talk to the especially youth, they will tell you they got high and took a pill. I'm, and I'm more concerned a, about Percocets being a gateway drug to opioid addiction than I am marijuana. There are many ways to do it safely. This state has onboarded it in a safe way. We just uh, allowed for the second round of licensing. And I would think that as we transition from <laughs> medical marijuana being available to or more recreational available, available medical, med marijuana, um, you'll have the sites safely uh, already in place in Pennsylvania, and you'll be able to make that transition pretty safely. But I'd say there's no free lunch. I'm a libertarian on this. Mm -hmm. People want to smoke, they want to do that. I think it's there. But again, I would say there's caution. There's a price that you'll pay with this. Yeah, the taxes, they, they go no, back. No, not just taxing. No, by normalizing it, there will be a price. Yeah. What do you think the price is? Well, the price is that you will see increased uh, driving while people are high. I mean, they've yeah. seen this in Colorado, and right. it's very difficult for the police to measure. I am with the people, though, that people want this. I get that, and I see the upside of it. But I'm saying it's no free lunch, and they're not all just marijuana warriors out there on the law enforcement side. Some of these people are reasonable and see the consequences. But we've of also found as cities have decriminalized marijuana, we have not seen a spike in violent crime. We have not seen a spike in, in transition to opioids. We have not seen those things. There's a guy in Northeast Philadelphia that every pe uh, hundred people he interviews. Only two or three can pass because they operate heavy equipment and other things. They're unskilled, now, and they will not problem. be able to smoke marijuana. I don't know what they're going to do as a job. It's hard to tell someone it's legal and you can't smoke it. 
It's that's true, and the building trades are going to really have an issue because there you so go. many that's of them a real are not going to be able to, right, exactly. to take, yeah. to take yeah. those as uh, pain yeah. management medications. All right, let's talk about the racial bias scandal, specifically at a Starbucks in Philadelphia, but also this has happened in other locations. Other corporations have had to face the facts on this. Uh, in this particular incident, two uh, patrons asked to use the bathroom, had not ordered a uh, latte or any drink. Uh, they were told that the rule is you must order something before you can use the facilities, and in the long run, police were called and it became a mess. Starbucks had uh, diversity training and racial bias training for a day shut down nationwide to deal with it. Was that enough? Well, it, I think Starbucks did a good job with a complicated and difficult set of circumstances. Um, but I want to say something about this dilemma that's finding expression, not just with what happened in the Starbucks incident, but across the country we are finding examples where people are being improperly treated because of the color of their skin, of their racial orient of their uh, religious orientation. If you're wearing something that indicates your, your religious uh, orientation, then, then that is held against you in, in some communities in the United States. And because of social media, we're becoming more and more and more aware of this. What I worry about is the sense of moral fatigue that comes when we are confronted over and over and over and over again with moral circumstances that are just outrageous and people just get tired of hearing about it. So they tune it. out, but does it distress you? Think about if you're experiencing these That's microaggressions, how tired you get, yeah. how, you know, yeah, how, 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 how much yes. PTSD kind of starts literally right. set on people because of these experiences. I mean, this year has really kind of illuminated the um, the prosecution of black bodies in public spaces. And this country has had a history of prosecuting black bodies in public spaces. You know, there's the loitering laws, there's the too many in one space right. laws. And, and this is like, the country has a history of that. Um, this, book, uh, this, this year, um, they released the, the Green the Book, Green book. Uh, movie which is going to be up for, I think, a movie of the year by the Oscars. Um, that, that movie takes its name and takes its theme from the Negro Motorist Green Book from 1936, which was a guide that lets you know how to travel the United States without being encumbered by racism. And the fact that you need a guide like this, the fact that I remember traveling with this guide, <laughs> you know, I remember traveling with this guide, I think speaks to the problem. And, you know, as, as people may feel that they're getting morally beat down by these things being exposed, I would hope that this country has the resilience to make this a more perfect union. And does it distress you that it was Philadelphia located Starbucks where the issue came to a head? Yes, only, especially in the sense that you, people often forget that Philadelphia is a majority minority city. So as we move around the city, like there should be no place where these microaggressions are allowed to fester and foster in a city that's a majority minority city like Philadelphia. Of all places. All right, we're going to take a break. Inside Story continues for you right after this. Stick around. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back to Inside Story. Philadelphia has a new district attorney, Larry Krasner, who is shaking things up, many folks would say. Uh, among them, he has asked for a do not call witness list has been demanded to be released. Also, uh, illegal stop and risk tactics that he says uh, police had been using. He wanted those stopped. He's 
press some charges. Uh, I would say strained relations is the least description of what has happened with the FOP, but many people say it's high time in a city of Philadelphia that somebody should be shaking things up in the DA's office. What's your response? My response is I think I can't blame Sully for this. The murder rate is the highest it's been in a decade. Right. And the rate of solving crimes is under 50% again with the Philadelphia police. So what they've done, they've blamed the head of homicide for this. Now, I speak to cops, and they speak highly of them. I think they're passing the buck. It's the Kenny uh, Krasner uh, policies that are doing this or have some impact on it. But I think they're popular. I think a lot of people in Philadelphia do want this. I think blaming Kenny and, and is a, a little over the top. Um, I, I just think that when you've got the level of poverty that we've got in this city, but people have limited. Why, why is this going the, oh, the mayor's going to make poverty go away. I no, mean, like the, that. It's one of his jobs. It's but, one of his jobs. Yeah. So yeah. I actually do and think that. And he has taken it on. Okay, right? go that's, ahead. That's a whole conversation. I, I think when you look at the rates of poverty across the country, did you know that Philadelphia has the highest poverty yes, out of every that. city in the country? Yes, I do know that. And it's gotten worse under this mayor. As is the homicide rates have gone up, listen, they're the leaders, so it, the buck stops with them. So I think it's actually perfectly reasonable to, to look to them to say, hey, guys, look at your policies, look what you're doing, let's make improvements, let's figure out how to bring down these rates. And is Larry Krasner doing it in a way that's being helpful or that is just causing a stir? To me, so far, so good. Like, I feel like he's kind of put his focus on, on egregious police that he's that is identified, I'd like to see him transition. If you feel the police are egregious, if you're going to put them on do not call list, you should prosecute them for the crimes you think they've committed. I don't think it's fair for the police to be on this list without any due process or any future due process. And I think that, you know, this year should be the year where he kind of exposes that list in a real way to I, I say these Dave cops have... My problem is victim after victim, it's not just what he does as far as policy, but we've seen story after story with Krasner of victims not being informed, feeling they're left out feeling they're trivialized, and the reason is because they are. All right, let's move on and talk about Bill Cosby, sentenced uh, to prison after a second trial. And some people would say if there had not been a new DA in Montgomery County, if the one victim whose statute of limitations had not run out by one week she almost missed the deadline. If those two things had not occurred, this uh, criminality would not have been prosecuted and we would not have someone behind bars because of it. How many other victims are not getting uh, heard in court? How many other criminals are slipping through the cracks? I don't know that the, the Bill Cosby is like the litmus test for all you know ca cases, particularly not in Montgomery County. This was a case that was tried twice, had three or four different district attorneys look at it. One district attorney said, I agreed not to prosecute. So there was a lot of uh, moving parts, and I would actually defer to Liz on some of those moving parts in Monco, but um, I, I well, don't think that, moving, right? I think it was a very unique case. I mean, it's still moving because um, Cosby filed an appeal now right. talking about this decades-long rivalry between uh, the, the DA who originally decided not to prosecute Cosby, mm -hmm. Bruce Castor, and the judge, Judge O'Neill. And so he now has filed more, another appeal to try to get a new trial. So I think in 2019, we're gonna still continue to hear about this case. All right, let's end with some good news. Philadelphia named by GQ Magazine as the city of the year for lots of reasons, not oh. the least of which is that we won the Super Bowl, which I think and hope we should do again, but also because the city really is coming alive in some ways, in some areas. Lots of great job creation, millennials moving in by the hundreds and thousands. Yeah. Uh, so good news is happening in some sections. Is enough good news happening? I would say, yeah, it's a tale of two cities. Yes, and exactly. I think it's been this way for quite a while. Under Governor Rendell, that was a complaint against Rendell. I think it's more severe now. And I get what Jim Kenney's doing. I oppose the soda tax and all that. He is taking a stab at poverty. 
He is directing toward that. I just think he's wrong in his approach. These are failed approaches. Well, in fairness, one of the big drivers for for trying to bring Amazon here was because of the need to try to bump up the jobs. Sure. That would have been a complete game changer for the city, and the effort that they put into that uh, was unbelievable. I mean, the fact that Philadelphia made the top 20. If we had gotten Amazon, a lot of people who don't have jobs in the city would have had a show. Absolutely, but the fact that we now. didn't, yeah. does, does that mean we're back at square one, or are we a little better off having put I, ourselves on the national, international forefront? Yeah, I think the, I think the I process think is helpful, well. right? Yes. So yes. they identified yes. tax rebates that they would give, they identified where they could develop parts of the city to put an Amazon, and, and shame on the city if they don't use that plan for other uh, potential businesses. And what the city should be doing, though, and they should be patting themselves on the back as they did because they put out a great effort, but the, what they really should be doing is a hardcore evaluation of what can we do to bring businesses here because we've been and a, what makes you a, a think business that's not happening. It is I just happening. haven't heard about it. it I don't see happening. it happening. Well, what makes you think it is happening? It hasn't happened in, in years the paper. Yeah. with the soda but tax. But the and policies the, are not changed. Why yeah. would businesses come exactly. here? Exactly. I think, I think because of wage tax and other taxes, you're exactly. saying, and business right. taxes. Well, anybody who reads GQ, they're at least going to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> and one well, thing it's a tale of two cities again. It that is. part is great. There's a lot of stuff for yeah. millennials and excitement downtown. Great right. Yes. But for actually yes. hardcore Absolutely. everyday business, mm -hmm. they don't see it. And for the too. actual hardcore everyday person. Right. right? Yes. So right. You, you have to like get the shape of the person of Philadelphia yes. in our mind. It's like a 30-year-old African-American woman. Yep who's below the poverty line. Yep. That's the average Philadelphian. Right. And we think about policies that we want to enact that are going to help Philadelphians, we need to think about that 30-year-old yeah, African-American exactly. mother. Because that ripple effect from that yeah. family that's not being provided yeah. for affects the entire city. Yeah. That's right. And do you think the city is doing at least a few things? you got to chip away in some regard. I, I want to lift up what members of the city have done in, the, on, in terms of criminal justice reform. We, we glossed over it a little bit, um, but the, the signing of Clean Slate, the inaction of Clean Slate, which seals records after a certain period of time for non violent crimes. That's the first of its kind policy in the country that was led by Jordan Harris, who's now the whip of the house, and that was uh, signed by Governor Wolf. When you think about the work that Malcolm Jenkins, our safety on the Philadelphia Eagles, has done around criminal justice, bring a national spotlight to it. This city, and, and you think about what, what, what Meek Mill has done, I referenced him earlier, speaking on his experience in the criminal justice, uh, in, in criminal justice and how he wants to change it, city is, the city of Philadelphia has now become the epicenter of criminal justice reform, and I think that's something we should be proud of. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to have New Year's resolutions instead of Inside Stories this week, and that's coming your way right after a break. CBC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Lots of folks make New Year's resolutions, and our group is not extinct from that. I'm going to declutter my life, my house, and my life, and make it a little more streamlined. Liz, what about you? Well, I think whether you're a Democrat or Republican, when you look at the mainstream media, you get pain in your chest. It's a lot of stress, a lot of fear-mongering. So I'm going to take a break for a little while. I'm going to use that time to be with my family. And I'm also going to use the time to help us win some elections in Montgomery County. All right, Donna. <laughs> so this year I'm going to spend more of my discretionary time with young people who are coming up in the political world who either aspire to political office, who want to be more involved in meaningful ways, whether it's a policy role or a campaign role. And I'm going to use that to try and drive toward a 2020 win for the Democratic nominee, whoever it is. Okay, Dom. 
This is harder than politics. I am not a dancer. I dance at my wedding. That's a bit it. The resolution is to take dancing, better dancing lessons. But I realize Channel 6 says this is not a legal commitment that I'm making here. <laughs> I want that underneath the screen to make sure my wife can't use it in future negotiations. But that's my resolution. Okay. All right. And David? Well, I actually get married in about four hours. <laughs> oh, <so>. wow. <laughs> hey. My first marriage, to, I love it. Get there, get there on time and <laughs> to be the best husband I can. It's my first marriage and the first marriage for my wife to be, and we're looking forward to it and hope we can just have the best marriage in life oh, possible. Oh, that's oh, nice. Yeah. We like that. And Thank so we you. want to toast all yeah. of you. Toast, toast to our viewers. Toast to David yeah. and his marriage. Like yes. I love it. Exactly. So we have a 40-year marriage and a brand new, brand new. husband to be. We love it. I mean, we wish you all the best. <laughs> Happy New Year to our viewers, and we hope you have a wonderful 2019. We'll see you right back here next Sunday morning. And go Eagles, we need you to win today and win it all again. All right, cheers, everyone.